Today's episode of the Movie Goats podcast is brought to you by Nell Supply Company, the original palm and pine. Summer's right around the corner. You know you're going to need to be wearing those shorts, wearing the joggers, the shirts from Nell's hats, much more. Perfect for the beach, the lake. Check out the newest offerings at nellsupplyco.com, N-E-L-L-E-S, supplyco.com. In Nell's, it's always a great day to have a day. You probably don't think I'm a very nice guy, do ya? Robocop, next. Everybody, welcome into episode five of the Movie Goats podcast. It is Memorial Day Monday, and today we are tackling Paul Verhoeven's 1987 science fiction film, RoboCop. I am John, as always, joined by Brady and Brian, and we're going to get to potentially one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. But first, of course, we got to say hello to the fellows. Brian, how was your Memorial Day weekend? Uh, you got into some fishing, I believe? Yeah, that's right. Uh, drove down to the Shenandoah River. Uh, it's a really good smallmouth fishery, so caught a bunch of smallmouth. The water was a little low, so it was a lot of paddling, but it was a good time. Overall, relaxing. Had a lot of fun. Good weekend. Spent some time with family as well, which is always nice. And Brady, how are things going for you on the beach? You and I had a, a time tearing up the town on Tuesday. What's it been like since I saw you on Tuesday? It's been a great time. Shout out to the veterans on uh, this Memorial Day weekend. Um, I Actually, I, you came into town and then my younger brother came into town. So we've been playing a lot of host, a lot of uh, not a lot of time to watch movies. But, you know, sometimes you watch a lot of movies, you stack them up. And now I'm glad to get back into the movie world now that we're talking about RoboCop, a movie that I haven't watched in a really long time. So it was uh, fun to revisit. All right. And as you guys can see on the Zoom, you know, listening to this, you're not going to be able to see I have my Clemson baseball jersey on ACC champions crowned. The Denver Nuggets are in the finals. It was a great week for your boy John here sports wise and a great week. Overall, obviously, seeing Brady in the succession finale. Do you guys watch it? No spoilers, obviously. I watched it and I enjoyed it. Brian, I'm with you. I've got some friends who have mixed feelings on it, but I thought it was terrific. I thought it was so well written and I thought they ended it on on a high note. They nailed it. All right. Well, speaking of well written movies that end on high notes, let's get into Robocop. Brian, this was your choice your second go around point break first and uh tell us a little bit about your relationship with this film it came out a year before you were born uh yeah um i don't know where to begin with it i i feel like you know i'm i'm a fan of unique movies right movies that you see and you're like i've never seen something like that before I think RoboCop is the quintessential. I've never seen something like that before um, because you have humor and you have ultra violence, I would call it, and gore and all of this stuff going on. But 
there are also so many layers to this movie, so many themes going on. Um, in some ways, it is such an interesting movie, and I, I think it really is a masterpiece in a funny way. Um, you know, it does. I feel like it's a movie that doesn't take itself so seriously, but at the same time, the message is is serious, and there are a lot of uh, things going on here that I think are really interesting. So I'm excited to talk about it. I, I love this movie. I, I think it's one of the great sci-fis that we've seen. And I really feel like it embodies the 80s. Um, I think it is almost the quintessential 80s movie. Excellent. You know, I, I couldn't agree more, Brady. I've got my own thoughts on uh, the directing of this movie. And I think that that's going to make for some interesting discussion later. But tell me about what you think of Verhoeven and his uh, his filmography and, and, and of that nature. Um, I'm I'm definitely in the pocket for Verhoeven. Um, like I I'd say my favorites of his, I love Total Recall, uh, Starship Troopers. Obviously, my number one is probably Basic Instinct because I think it is like the ideal erotic thriller of that, especially of that era. It sums everything up. Um, and he's been he's been going for a while too. He's a, you know, L and Vendetta have been getting like they they got some big acclaim. Um, but I do like his the way he does do the satire with the ultraviolence and like now it's kind of like everybody knows about it, but like Starship Troopers, a movie that when it came out, a lot of people didn't realize it was a satire and they thought it was like pro fascism when it wasn't that. And I could see when this movie came on the eighties, how people might not have picked up on what's in retrospect, clearly like very humorous. There's a lot of funny stuff going on in this, but I think to John's point too, about like unique thing is like Verhoeven is a singular voice. I can't think of a lot of other directors that do what he does as well as he does. Like there's other people that do those over the top action, hyper violent thing. But when you see a Verhoeven movie, generally, you know, this is a Verhoeven movie, which I think is one of the best things you can do as a director. Yeah. And uh, one last thing I wanted to touch on when we were talking about a little bit of the pre plot stuff here. Not going to go over every movie we've done every week, but we've only done five. Maverick, we have Tom Cruise, we have Miles Teller, Ed Harris, John Hamm. Point Break, we have Keanu, and uh, help me out. Swayze. Swayze. Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. Last weekend, we did Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. No stars in this movie. No traditional movie stars. We do have the dad from that 70s show. But other than that, you know, not a lot of star power in this. Is that intentional when we're looking at, you know, someone that is technically a robot as the main character? What do you guys think? Could this have benefited from a a bigger name or was it the ambiguity something that was a positive? Um, well, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the most well-known, I guess, casting what ifs with this movie they originally wanted Schwarzenegger to play RoboCop. Um, the decision was to go with Peter Weller because when they thought of Schwarzenegger in a robot suit, they're like, he's too powerful. Like he's not, he's honestly not human enough. They viewed it and they said, he's just too big and he'd be too powerful. It's not believable. Schwarzenegger in a RoboCop suit is like indestructible. So they, they wanted somebody that was um, tall and lanky 
And the key was they wanted somebody with a really strong chin. They they knew roughly <laughs> what the suit was going to look like. And they wanted somebody with a good chin that was tall and lanky. So they settled on Peter Weller, um, which I think is an interesting choice. But it also kind of goes to show you they were debating Weller and Schwarzenegger, which are two very different actors. At that time, even though Weller had some success, he's not on the level of Schwarzenegger, obviously. So I feel like they made... Um, a lot of these choices kind of based on what they thought would be best for the movie and not necessarily what would put people in in movie seats or in the theaters. Um, and I guess the other thing to mention is I feel like um, Verhoeven probably knew that in the production company probably knew that this was an ambitious script and there was going to be a lot of expensive effects. So I think it's hard for them to put a lot of budget into the actual actors in it. And I think that's why we ended up with the cast that we did. Brian, you I will go to bat a little bit, a little bit for Nancy Allen as a De Palma fan. It's great. Now I just pulled up her filmography. You know, she's all, she's in like dress to kill blowout, um, Carrie. And I was like, well, what was she doing? She it looked like she'd had a break from some major movies. So maybe this is a little bit of a comeback vehicle. I do think the, 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 the like, cause I'm looking at Peter Weller too. The only movie I'd seen that he did before this was, Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth. Let me get this correct. I think it's Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. I might be wrong about which number dimension it was, but that's also a movie. It's uh, Goldblum's in there. There's a lot going. Yeah. Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. It's worth checking out. Just saying. We were watching this. You know, we all watch it separately, but you texted out a picture of Kurtwood Smith along with some other people. They all have the bald side the 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 friar tuck thing going on you commented side on gods. The, the side gods look hair corner go for it this is this is what I, you're this for. is actually the true thing i mean i shouldn't have led with nancy allen that was unfair to her and i'm not saying that the hair was a catastrophe i'm just saying maybe it would have done a little different swept it another way but the true highlight of this and i think it's something in society we may have to have uh, a return to the side gods have gone Nowadays, and trust me, I Google everything because I'm always afraid that my hair is going to be gone soon. What do you do when you lose your hair? They always say, first thing first, shave your head. They're saying that's the cool thing to do. Then you see the only guys like like, like a Larry David who who just goes for it. He lets it he lets it flow a little bit. Nobody's doing that nowadays. And I'm thinking the sides are going to have a moment. I mean, even they, they took away Ed Harris is one of the great side gods. And Top Gun Maverick, he shaved the whole head. I'm not saying... Is it a wrong thing? Maybe it is. I'm just saying we need a variety. Everyone's doing the same thing. We need a little bit more variety. The the Navy's not letting you get away with that haircut. Just <laughs> I don't know the but... rules. I don't know the rules. I feel like if you're that high up, you can kind of get away with a little bit more sides. But all right. So 1987, but we're set in 2030, correct? I don't believe they actually say a year, do they? I think they, is it like 2039? Maybe they didn't say it. That was just in my head. I don't think there's a year that's stated. Okay. Because the other thing that I was going to say before we get into this is there is a lot of futuristic aspects to this. Obviously, a robot that is a cop. We see a lot of robotics and different things. The humongous guns that the bad guys have at the end. My biggest thing was how shitty are the TVs still? 
the TVs are still just clunky boxes. Like, come on, you can't come up with a flat screen or like something that's in the wall. I don't know. That was, I had a, I had a big issue with that. <laughs> you know what? That's like, but that immediately takes me back to Total Recall, which does Total Recall come, become before or after this? This is what year is this? 87? Seven. I think, yeah, Total Recall became before. There's like, they make a point that in the, cause that movie takes place in the future and all the walls are that flat thing where they're like, you think it's like a window or something and then it's like uh, oh it's a tv screen flipping through the different channels so i almost feel like there is a little bit I, I what i like about the set design of the futuristic thing is this whole you know that post-apocalyptic where like some things are futuristic but some things are very grounded and there's a lot of abandoned warehouses which that's something i think maybe the biggest takeaway for me for this movie is bring back the abandoned warehouse just as a place for action to happen because you i haven't seen that in a minute I have yeah. no more abandoned warehouses in movies. All right. Well, Brian, do you have anything, any thoughts before we get into the plot here? Well, I mean, you mentioned, I, I don't think they actually stayed a year and I don't want to get too deep into this, but I think so many things did kind of come true with this movie in a way, um, which is really impressive. I mean, I feel like they, in terms of like consumerism and the way that we purchase things and the way that in, in many cases we are so, I guess, susceptible to in your face marketing, like we see in some of those commercials and things like that, and the way the media is portrayed in the future. I feel like a lot of these things really did come true. The technology, you're right. I, I mean, the technology, maybe not so much, but everything about this in terms of the way that I feel like the, um, America was a lot of that did come true in this movie. So I feel like one of the things that a lot of people say about it is it is a timeless movie and it's aged incredibly well, um, considering how long ago it was made over 35 years. So, you know, I didn't I want, think that's what you're like the point that it's like it's timeless, but it's, it's very much a, mo a movie of its time, but it's it's relevant always, which is the fascinating thing about it. I think. Yeah. But the thing that I was going to get into with that was, uh, I, you know, I bashed on the TVs or whatever, but I do agree, Brian, that I think that they really nailed some of the futuristic points when it came to just the fact that uh, Robocop records things and he re later records Kurtwood Smith, you know, uh, uh, blab in his mouth. And that's like the first body cam footage. Or like, I mean, just like there's yeah. things like that, that like the everything being recorded, the government controlling things things of that nature that it doesn't seem that far-fetched and for yeah. some reason brady had 39 i had 2030 i mean that's what that's seven years from now it doesn't seem that wild that something like this could happen when you see like what boston robotics and things like that are like putting out uh yeah you know like the private privatization of the police force that's happened in places it's yeah it's like things that that, that that when they're making it, it was science fiction, but I think they had an eye towards the future in an interesting way. Yeah, exactly. Well, without further ado, we'll get into a little bit more as we go, I'm sure. Oh, first off, we got to, since we're jumping right in, I got to say, what are you guys' thoughts? And I don't know if this movie is, because Verhoeven's done this in multiple times, opening it up with like the fake commercials. Uh, it's so, either like if you're not expecting it, I could see it as being a, a surprise. I'm going to jump into this just because I know how Brian feels about it. Um, I thought that the content was unbelievable. 
but it was a directorial decision that made me uncomfortable. And it wasn't because of Verhoeven doing it. It's because I have bad memories of other movies doing it. This is something that's like very similar to this. And then later when you see, you know, the uh, people at the liquor store that are watching the the sitcom or whatever, um, it was very similar to Natural Born Killers to me, where it was popping in and out. And I they definitely copied this, but it gave me too many. This was my first time watching RoboCop. And it gave me too many reminders, whereas I thought it was extremely clever. But that type of shot really is off-putting to me because of that movie. I could see that. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not in the pocket for a MBK. Um, but I do think it, it is a very bold thing to do because when you're doing that kind of satire, it's a fine line where it, I think it works in this one because it sets up the world just like they're, you know, the news anchor smiling while delivering horrific news. The funny, the, the commercials that are like so bozo. Well, I feel yeah. like it all kind of plays. Brian, you you touch on it because you texted me a lot about these commercials, and I, you know, I told you that I didn't really like the directorial decision, but I love the content. You know, tell me about them. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. You know, who did it first? Was it Verhoeven? Because if he yes. did it first, yeah, yeah, it was. He's got free reign to do whatever he wants. I feel like in terms of like making a directorial decision if it works for robocop then i think he nailed it right yeah um, i'll buy that for a dollar yeah. <laughs> but no i mean we we just talked about this and and how in some ways this movie kind of told the future the opening okay there's not nuclear war going on in south africa that's how it opens up but it does kind of um put into context when this movie came out and you know i guess the mid to late 80s this isn't that long after the U.S. and the world is kind of scared of nuclear war. Um, but then they have a commercial for heart health, which I feel like, I mean, that is extremely relevant in 2023. I mean, heart disease is one of the biggest killers of people in the world. Um, and then they have a commercial about space travel. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, wow, like they kind of nailed it <laughs> um, with with these two commercials that they hit with. Yeah, and the the heart health thing, really kind of set the groundwork for how you do have to suspend disbelief a little bit for what's going to happen uh, with the rehabilitation of Robo Murphy becoming Robocop because it didn't, it say like you could have an athlete's heart. You could have this kind of heart. It was like very customizable. Yeah. I don't know. It, it definitely opened up a, a little thing with me where it's like, okay, the medicine here is not the medicine that that we have well, but they to this day people talk about designer babies how they can genetically modify in the near future so i feel like that stuff's not that far off because then people are always like what is the ethics of is it your kid if you're changing everything every little detail about it you know i might want it to be taller or fa faster or smarter things like that um but you know it's even like to that modern thing i love that the co the, the corporation is called omni consumer products it's kind of like and not to like be too obvious about it because you, you mentioned space flight and stuff it's like amazon they they go to the space they do it they deliver all our products i feel like just even getting ahead of that just like you know these massive companies that do everything for us um actually i really want what i wanted to ask you guys about like speaking of when it came out like do you guys have early childhood memories of robocop like for instance i remember the visual of robocop long before i ever saw the movie 
I remember like seeing like definitely the cartoon was a thing. Um, it, it would have been in reruns when I was a kid, but like even just the iconic design, which I think is really something that could be underrated in a way that like the new one, the new RoboCop that came out, I couldn't tell you what that design is, but like there was, it was in the conscious. It's also a weird thing. Like back then in the eighties, they would make like cartoons that already movies all the time, like the Rambo cartoon, stuff like that, which is kind of, kind of wild. Yeah, I feel like they knew how important it was to get the RoboCop suit right. And I know that, that they delayed filming for months and months um, because they couldn't get it right. They had a designer working on it. They had a cost like they uh, there's a there's a lot of information on this if you want to look it up. But I think they delayed. They had to shoot the scenes that did not involve him in a suit first. And they, they started shooting these scenes without because he's RoboCop for such a big part of this movie. So they start shooting these scenes where he's not RoboCop first because they didn't have the suit ready. But, I mean, if you think about it, if if they missed with this suit and it, it just didn't play, I don't know if this movie's a success. I, thought, I think the suit is so incredibly important. And for me personally, going back to your original question, like growing up, I like you hear RoboCop and it was like, it, it's almost like a household name. Like you, you know what it is, but like I was too young to like really experience this movie or, or know a whole lot about it. But I think what's so iconic about it is the movie poster of RoboCop stepping out the of the best. police car. It is amazing. It's one of the best movie posters I think ever. And I feel like at a young age, I had like seen that enough where I like everybody knew who RoboCop was and what it was, but I didn't, I never actually experienced the the movie. And so, it's wild too because they even had like a spinoff live action TV series. I go, I had trouble finding this to rent because my Roku had made the mistake. They literally mislabeled the movie, yeah. so like I was like, I can't find RoboCop one because it's like RoboCop the Crackdown or something like that. <laughs> and then I finally was like, well, this is the year the first RoboCop came out, uh, and I I spent like twenty to thirty minutes trying to make sure I was renting the correct movie before I logged in and watched it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I'll be honest with you, I've. I've seen this original RoboCop several times. I've never seen anything else, anything else in the series. I feel like I don't, and part of that's because I'm not interested in a sequel. I think they ended this first movie so well. However, I do think a TV show kind of plays because when they first turn him into RoboCop and he's cruising the streets and taking down bad people, I'm like, this is... I'd rather watch this than Hawaii Five O on Sunday night. <laughs> like this is like what I want to see. You could do an episode about him cracking some case and solving, or you know, saving the day. Um, so I feel like it plays as, a, in terms of additional content, it definitely plays as a, a show. Maybe not a more sequels. Brian, you mentioned something, and uh, do you guys want to get into one of my philosophical questions now? about let's the film it. or shoot. should we wait a little bit let's do it no. let's get into shoot. it shoot from the hip like robocop exactly i love that uh brian you mentioned that he's robocop for 90 percent of this movie maybe maybe more i don't know i think he actually when i thought about it he's only murphy for basically one scene because exactly do that boardroom scene right. where like we need a body and then they you introduce him and then he gets killed and then the rest of the movie he's robocop yeah and so my question was do we need the and it's one of my favorite scenes where he goes back to the apartment and he cares about his wife and his son and his connection with his partner and all of that because are we emotionally invested in this guy? I don't know. 
Did we spend enough time with them to get really emotionally invested? Is the partner emotionally invested? It's their first day on the job together, it seems like. My answer, the, this is what I actually think. I have a, I have, I have a, a gut, my gut reaction to that is a lesser movie would have spent, because what this movie is, it's like a, it's like an action, over-the-top, violent satire. I did, less is more with that. Like, normally, like, if I'm sure if they... I was say if they remade it, they did remake it. I haven't watched a remake. I have a feeling they probably gave you more of him beforehand. What we came to see the guy in the suit. I got enough. They do it because they do small. It's like they do a lot of shorthand things where like we don't meet him with his family, but he's like, oh, here, I flip my gun around because my kid does this. So by the time they do that flashback scene, I bought into I bought into him totally. But like I like because I'm there for the action. I'm there for the you know, the laughs, the the gags, and then the the blood, the violence. And I think it works really well. And I don't think it's easy. I think they did such a good job with the shorthand stuff that they pulled off a seemingly impossible task. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, they, they kind of played the greatest hits of pulling out your heartstrings early on. I mean, you see him, he talks about his son, I think. And when he flips the pistol around and um, he's talking to uh, Nancy Allen about that. And then um, I would also say that like he walks into the Detroit police department and it's in total shambles and it's in turmoil. And this guy, it's like his first day. And like, you're already like, okay, I'm behind this guy. He's trying to make this a better city and you're kind of rooting for him to start. So I think John, I totally see your point. I feel like you don't get a lot of time and you do wonder why Nancy Allen is so interested in this partner. Um, but I don't know. I feel like they did crush it with the with the short amount of time they did have. I do think the, the one last thing I'll say about it, and I agree with you guys, I just playing a little devil's advocate here for conversation's sake, is does it play better if Nancy Allen is so invested in the character Murphy, her partner, if, you know, the, the cops are talking about striking and things like that. If there's a line about, her saying, you know, I'm going to strike and him being like, we've been partners for 12 years. You can't talk like that or whatever. You know, it gives a little context to them having more of a relationship than thrown in a car for 30 minutes together. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that had to have been a, a calculated decision, um, but that didn't need to be his first day. Right. That could they could have been partners for a longer time. You're right. I think it's almost a throwback to the Western where the new kid comes into town. He's the new guy showing up, doesn't know the terrain. And then and it almost, it, you kind of are put in his perspective in the sense that like a 99 out of a hundred times, you're going to have a scene with the family, right. To, to establish it. And by not having that, you almost like when he becomes RoboCop, you have his RoboCop perspective of it. I haven't seen him with his family. So that once we get the glimpse of his family, you almost feel that, moment come back it's like you're seeing a memory you're reliving a memory with him that he hasn't had because we're not because we did not see that memory before it makes it more you're putting yourself in his shoes brady i actually really like that uh equating it to a western where he does he comes into detroit and he immediately sees how bad it is but and yeah. he's like coming because let's start with it. They do that opening scene where he goes in. They have the great like police chief who's giving everybody guff, and everyone's like, ah, we're we're gonna strike. And they he's do awesome. this, the, the classic Verhoeven thing. He does this in Starship Troopers. I think it's like a European thing where he's just like he's obsessed with the notion in the in the future we're gonna have co-ed showers. 
And I think he it's like a very it, it just comes out of nowhere because you're not expecting it. You see a bunch of like dudes naked and then they just have a few women pass by and the camera doesn't like hesitate on him. It's not like a sexual thing. I don't feel like at all. I think it's just his, his like European sensibility of being. Yeah, let's well, let's go into the. Yeah. So what my maybe my favorite scene, which is maybe the best piece of satire, because this because this is still early on in the movie and you really don't know. You don't have a complete understanding of the world like you've seen the commercials um you've seen like the you, you know different like different elements of the world but you haven't really met any characters really fully and we get introduced to this boardroom with the characters um played by miguel ferrer who i'm uh, big fan of miguel ferrer uh he's playing bob morton which is a great name for a for a suit um ronnie <laughs> cox he plays dick jones another great name and then there's the old man. I don't even know who the old man's name is. He's a great, and I think literally his like name in the cast is he's the old man. Yeah, he's but they're the old like, man. yeah, they're like they're pitching a new product. They're like, we have privatized the police force, and we're going to use robots to do our policing for us. Which, when you think about now, also how like our military is now run by like drones and stuff like that. We use a lot of ro- robotics and stuff. So that's another thing that they're ahead of its time, where they're like, you know, seeing like what's the point of risking a person when we can use a robot, but at the same time, in doing so you dehumanize the thing. Yeah. And so just to your point, uh, uh, Brian, do you want to touch on this? Why they're cleaning the city up? So you mean like the, the Ed 209, the robot that they're introducing? Well, the Delta, Delta town or whatever. Uh, oh yeah. So yeah, I guess that that's one part of this movie. They don't touch on a lot and it's actually something that, you know, when you see it once or twice, you don't really think about too much, but it is a kind of a kind of drives the the some of the themes here a lot um, is that they are building this new Delta city and it's going to be this nice new, honestly, gentrified city um, in, in Detroit. Um, one interesting thing about this is actually the film with what uh, it was filmed in um, Dallas. So actually the the OCP. I believe is like Dallas town hall or something. And then they just added levels to it. I like, I will say shout out to the matte paintings in this. I love the matte paintings that really build out the city. Yeah. But this boardroom um, scene is amazing. Like, yeah. It, so it's, I think it's fun. It's like the genius of it is everyone's acting normal. It's like, it's like a generic boardroom meeting is like, here's our new uh, product. The, I keep on forgetting the, the numbers on it. Ed the 209. Ed 209. And they do stop motion. And I love stop motion too. Uh, even though it looks, it work, stop motion especially works out when you do robots because the jerky movements like yeah. make sense. And he goes up and he's like, well, look what happens when we, <laughs> I love that there's a gun lying in there. And they're like, I don't know who they're like, Bill, pick up the gun and we'll show you what happens when, <laughs> when, when. <laughs> When you have to follow the directions of the Ed 209. So instantly, it's just the perfect element of it is he picks up the gun. The countdown starts. You see, like, everyone's laughing. And he's like, oh, put down the gun. He puts down the gun. And the countdown doesn't stop. And he starts panicking. And then it becomes a cartoon. Everybody's panicking in the boardroom. He tries to run away. They push him back. They keep pushing him back by himself. He's screaming. And then he gets probably shot 120 times yeah <laughs> before he falls down it's yeah. just <laughs> it's like you literally just took like a machine gun to like a barrel of tomatoes <laughs> ripped them to pieces yeah so i i i had never seen this movie before this is my first robocop indoctrination 
And when this scene happened, I was like, oh my God, I'm in one. Like, I don't know what's going yeah. to happen because you're right. They shot him a thousand times, body parts flying <laughs> everywhere. And it, it, I don't know. It was disgusting. It was beautiful. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> shocking. Well, it's like a joke. It's, honestly, it's, but this is where the, the humor of it comes from, where you see this horrific thing happen and then they immediately go to the old man and Ronnie Cox is like, uh, that, that wasn't supposed to happen. We still have some kinks to work out. And the old man, not for a moment, does he show any remorse for his employee who just got murdered in front of him. He's not upset by what happened. He's just like, this. He don't, what he's upset about is not that somebody got killed. It's that, that we're supposed to have this product go to market very soon and it is clearly not ready. And that's when Miguel Ferrer is like, we have a great thing, a RoboCop program. And he's like, let's do it. But just the whole notion of nobody's reacting. And then even, even like the Miguel Ferrer's buddy in the room is like, it's a, you know, it's a real pity about Bill. And he's like, ah, we're, it's, it's for the best. Because and I do wonder, do you think that Miguel Ferrer sabotaged the Ed 209 to do that so he could introduce his RoboCop program? Because they seem to be operating a lot better when they show them like a few weeks later. No, I don't think that at all. I, I, yeah. I, I, I feel like the guy can walk downstairs later. <laughs> An important thing, again, like setting up the themes of this movie, they talk about Delta City, and then they talk about the directive of Ed 209. Its directive is pacific urban pacification through force, which, <laughs> I mean, if that's not like on the nose <laughs> about kind of like police brutality and things like that, then I don't know what is. Um, so, I mean, that to me is like, they're really setting up that theme right here. And then seeing, seeing this poor guy go down, it wasn't like one of the execs on, at the boardroom. It was like the intern there. And clearly that was like a calculated decision as well. This, the guy, is is the, he, uh, th this guy is like the succession Greg to this crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about this line though? Like the first time I saw this movie, when they leave the boardroom and, um, What's Ferrer's name again? He plays uh, Bob Morton. Bob Morton. Bob Morton's going down the elevator with his buddy. And he's like, man, that was tough for him, huh? And then he goes, yeah, that's just life in the big city. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's that so a, much. It, it, it works. Because I feel like I don't think Miguel Ferrer was actually doing it. I was only just thinking later on. He, You do realize that he's willing to play chess. I think he's an opportunist. I think he saw his moment. He's been in the background. Clearly, Ronnie Cox. He's like, you don't understand. You're selling them one cop. We're selling them an entire fleet. And that's going to be a part. He's not. Miguel Ferrer is thinking about himself as opposed to Ronnie Cox, like thinking about the company, which is they're both wrong morally. <laughs> but Miguel Ferrer, Ferrer hasn't been in the game as long as Ronnie Cox. Because Ronnie Cox is like, you don't understand. You're like trying to be efficient. It's not about efficiency. It's about like just making making the most amount of money as possible. Yeah, yeah. I think they do something in this movie though. Bob Morton is not like a good person, and he's you know he's he's not somebody we're supposed to root for, but we do root for him in a way because Dick Jones is just so awful, and he's such a vile like he represents corporate greed. And so even though Bob Morton is like not somebody you really want to get behind, and he's definitely kind of um, I guess backstabbing and opportunistic in a negative way, I would say. At the same time, he's not like necessarily the villain. Like 
or a villain. Like he's kind of like in between what I think mm-hmm. Murphy and RoboCop represent, which is like humanity and good. I feel like Bob Morton's in between, and then Dick Jones is like at the top of what people. I think Bob Morton is just the capitalist. All he wants to do is be on top of the corporation, and you know he will like to do it in a more sound way if possible but it doesn't really matter because he has no feelings towards towards robocop but we have to get to to, to robocop here where well, i will say like my one thing on bob morton is that he does t- tell him we saved his arm amputate the arm yeah, he's a, <laughs> well, yeah. i think it's a sleight of hand i think you think he's going to be the main villain after that opening scene because he bests ronnie cox but the thing is miguel freer one he's so charming so you kind of like him even though he's a bad guy and yeah. then because you think he's going to be the main guy when Ronnie, because you think that he's going to get the better of Ronnie Cox from the at first, and then when he does get like betrayed by Ronnie Cox, it's that really heightens Ronnie Cox's role because like, oh, this guy is willing to do anything. That's why he's so old and has made it so far in this company is that that's what it takes to get there. And Miguel Ferrer is he's too naive; he doesn't realize what it takes to get to the top at this point. Yeah. Um, which actually goes back to so now. We have the great chasing where we get introduced to Kurtwood Smith, aka Red. Um, great. This is the 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 whole. There's a whole thing of the '80s where they always have these like street gangs, which I feel like you don't. That's like a whole genre, subgenre of movies where you don't really see as much. Where like these these guys, they like I don't really know. They don't seem to like sell drugs, but they definitely do sell drugs. But they like are very violent. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm thinking no, they definitely, I mean, they definitely sell drugs. They definitely sell drugs. Nefarious activity is happening. They seem to be there. They have their hands in every pot, except they, they don't really, I don't feel like they're doing gambling. They're always like later, prostitution. Drugs. Later when uh, Mr. Red Foreman here is talking to his boss about the potential of Delta city. He's like, you can have gambling, you can have drugs, you can have prostitution. So I think they do everything. Is this the one thing that they didn't predict properly is the legalization of gambling? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. actually true. You that, actually can uh, you can legally bet in uh, Detroit right now if you yeah. want to put a little future on the Lions to win the NFC North or something. <laughs> but it would have uh, it would have aged pretty poorly too if they were selling marijuana. It's good that they were. <laughs> well, they have a weird drug in this, don't they? Do they have, don't they have like a futuristic drug that they randomly bring up, like that a lot of the people are addicted to? Um, I don't remember. I feel like they name drop it. They have, it has a, it has a very like eighties futuristic drug name. Um, Maybe you're just not enough into that scene to know what what it yeah. is. <laughs> My favorite part of this scene was the chase when the Lewis and Murphy are behind the crew, and they just throw one of the guys at the car. <laughs> well, he, I like he's like, are you gonna fly? <laughs> they, they like beat him up, then they throw him out. And I, this is one that this is at that great moment where. He did. He is showing that little spin the gun thing, and then she's like, "I'm driving," and he. But he acts like it's. He's like, "Oh, yeah, fine by me." Even though he was like, he stole the wheel before, and she's killing it. When he flies through it, I wonder, do you survive? I feel like you could if you get thrown into a car from a moving car ahead of you. Well, like, I think I think you go through the windshield. I don't. No, know no, because they don't shatter. Windshields won't shatter. They'll crush. I don't know, man. I got a lot of weight on me i feel like i'll just go right through it but maybe not i actually I feel think like you have a catch you your butt you're going butt your, your butt's gonna be stuck in that's what i think i think yeah. you have a better yeah. chance surviving car to car than car to floor car to pavement 
because the momentum. Yeah, you're going to survive the car impact. It's the falling off the car. The momentum. They slam the brakes. They slam the brakes, and then he falls off. I feel like this guy can survive this fall. And does does he survive in the movie? Do they don't do they bring him back? We don't know. This is bring him back. (laughs) I was hoping. Um, because then they do. Then we get to one of the, the one of the many warehouses in this movie. Great little like dialogue. It's kind of creepy. It's kind of scary because they, of course, the worst thing that can happen in a, mo- a cop movie is they split up. The moment that anyone splits up, nothing good can come from that. Um, and then they, the uh, Lewis, she gets like pushed off a ledge. She's just taken out of the the action momentarily, and then our guy Murphy gets shot. Maybe. 10 times more than the guy that got taken down by the Ed 209. Yeah. And less times, but more aggressively. Like, yeah. They, it was they, a slow. Yeah. Yeah. They're shooting like, yeah, they shoot his arms. They shoot like they, they take their time with him, which is, I does a great job because look, okay. For Kurtwood Smith, he is having the time of his life in this movie. You can tell he's just chewing the scenery every scene. I love him just going full on villain. Like this guy is a, piece of shit when you when they bring up his like rap sheet like on the little computer and they have all his crimes he's literally done every single crime in the history of man yeah and he's like still rolling along and then like because you believe that this guy would be like that much of a piece of shit and then it ends with him shooting him in the head and then you think he's dead and then we immediately cut to they're like in that hospital room working on him and i what do you guys think about that montage i think that was one of my other favorite parts like that is a one of the scenes along with the boardroom where it's always my memory the way like they're all facing the camera i think for the time the year that they made this film that that was very well done like it you know they like screw in the the green grid kind of tightens up as they do the screws i thought that was cool but going back really quickly to the to murphy getting taken out two things i just wanted to mention so verhoven has actually stated that this is a fact that he wanted this to be like a crucifixion kind of situation and that's why the hands got blown off the way that they did. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is one of the villains says, good night, sweet prince, prince, which is a, a, a Shakespeare quote, yeah. but it's also used in one of my favorite movies and many people's favorite movies, The Big Lebowski, when they um, when they scatter Donnie's ashes, obviously <laughs> Walter says, good night, sweet prince. So I had to call that out. Second time I'd heard it in a movie. I'm sure it's used many more times, though, outside of Shakespeare, Big Lebowski, and RoboCop. <laughs> no, no, there's the big three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, Brady, you know you know this because I've talked about it a lot with you. I hate POV shots. And this was another instance where they had to do it because there's no other way to do it. But it reminded me a lot of the Fisher King where there's a lot of chaotic things happening and, and, and you're in the camera. And this was, again before that so i cannot hold it against this movie it was just something well, i don't think I, the pov thing i think that it's doing a very specific thing right you're seeing what the computer's seeing and i think it works this is like a perfect way there's an overuse of pov shots in the 70s and 80s um de palma does it, it a lot too it, it, it um, had to happen in this movie it had to happen so we could see what robocop sees that doesn't get rid of the fact that it gives me anxiety I thought what, what what I took away from the scene was I love the banality of they are doing something horrific. They're like basically creating a Frankenstein's monster. They like you make a point to have Miguel Ferrer come in and say, "Hey, we saved his arm. Isn't that great?" And he says, "That's we want it to be a full RoboCop. Cut it off." 
And that's when you're like, and the way they make the decision as a normal, as if it's like a business decision, right? Every, and even like they have the party inside there and everyone's like the party streamers. And you're like, these people are just check clocking in from nine to five. They don't have, and I feel like a lot of people that work on things like this, you know, they, that's the way they probably view their job. Right. If you're like working on some, like, you know, Oppenheimer's coming out soon. I'm, I don't know if they'll have a party scene uh, <laughs> inside there or there, but I'm sure like New Year's party. Yeah, I, I feel like like a lot of guys like that did, that did all like worked on some things like that, um, and they they probably like the way you view it is it's your work, it's your job, it's something that has to get done. And I just thought they did like the way the humor, the humor they did it, and like just the way the timeline moves that just you feel like time is passing, and it just is really effective way to, to do that scene. Also, shout out uh, the progression of this movie where they have. The female cop, who's a badass, obviously, and isn't the lead uh, engineer to put RoboCop back together a woman? So just shout out the 80s for being a little progressive. I think yeah. that's Verhoeven. I think Verhoeven's looking ahead like, like for like, I can't think of any other director from this time period whose co-ed shower scene wouldn't have like read as very leering and like lecherous. But you can tell he's trying to make a commentary on something. Brian right. I mean, Masculine. Palma and Carrie, his shower scenes read different than. Yeah. This. And also, um, like, there's okay. like some hyper masculinity going on in this whole movie, right? Well, like, the, well, that's like, we, we haven't even talked about since we kind of like brushed over like the Peter Weller intro scene. What do you guys think how Peter Weller is like now? Now he's become Robocop, but before that, do you think he like pulled off the charisma of like a leading man during those scenes? No. <laughs> I, I like Peter Weller. <laughs> you, gotta, like, you gotta see this guy's beats to the I guess marches to the beat of his own drum, Peter Weller. I don't know if you've read about him. His Wikipedia page is wild. Like he's got he's like a uh, he's earned his doctorate in like art history and like actually Renaissance art history. And like um he's directed a bunch of things he's acted in some interesting things he's done um dexter that was the last time i saw him like on screen i think he directed some of sons of sons of anarchy even it's so, like he's kind of like all over the place you can tell like he just does what he wants to do which i respect so much and i think um i you know i read this about this movie as well i guess he and verhoven didn't really get along the whole time i guess <laughs> peter weller hired um this this guy who was a mime that used to work with him and so this mime was like trying to teach him how to march in the robocop suit <laughs> and apparently peter weller wanted to do like ballet in the robocop suit and this was a huge thing verhoven and weller had a big argument about it and um they almost had to find a new lead because peter weller felt so strongly about it so you can tell this guy is like so passionate and just so like just i don't know it, it sounds like he's pretty stubborn and strong-headed but also like an absolute legend um so say what you want it's about funny, peter yeah. weller i think if you have the full context of his career and who he is it's like hard to criticize him almost i literally have like seen like the only other movie i can think i remember seeing him in is naked lunch by david cronenberg and he is giving a performance in that he's really going for something and i respect what he was doing there but to your point about like the ballet his physical, I think one of the best things about the movie is like when he turns, how his head always turns and then his shoulders follow and it looks like a robot. 
like you can tell whatever training he did with that mime it paid out in spades like that thing it works when he moves like a robot i believe it yeah. yeah well the mime the mime wasn't about the robot moves though that was, oh, it was just about the ballet. i wanted him to do ballet so uh, i thought <laughs> i was gonna give shout out to the mime <laughs> i think that you know i think with it from here you know we can get into the fact that he's robocop now and and the first thing we see is him just blasting that that uh target and then well, he the pistol first off that pistol machine gun pistol one of the all-time weapons in a movie i've ever seen yeah, right but he's he's blasting the target and then he's he's out on the town and he is he's doing the head shoulders knees all the turn and my big thing with this was you know again i'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit they couldn't let him run at all they couldn't have programmed him to run he's always dude and then the that suit. is that suit is a real suit. It's like custom made for right. him to walk in. And then like imagine that. That thing must weigh like a million pounds. All right. Fair enough. I'll give you that. I'll concede that. When there's the whole mayor situation going down where someone's held the mayor hostage, I was really expecting like a, a jetpack thing to come out of his heels and he could fly up to the second <laughs> level i was kind of disappointed that didn't happen i feel like it's funny with like the one robots should never run because they're more they're more ominous because they'll never stop it's like the terminator arnold never runs like a zombie he, he'll get there eventually i like that robocop to, and i know that he can't but also like even when you're saying that weller and uh, verhoeven didn't get along well I believe it because I feel like any movie where an actor has to wear a cumbersome suit, they, the direct, they never get along. Like Val Kilmer, when he did Batman Forever, he famously did not get along because he said he couldn't hear anything. You can't turn your shoulder. You can't turn your neck and all this stuff. Like, it makes sense why, like, and I can't imagine, and getting into it probably took hours. Yeah, like four, it did. Four or five hours. It did. They yeah. said the, the first time that they filmed it, they hadn't, like, figured out how to you know get him in the suit quickly get him set up get makeup done all that good stuff and i guess like they they like needed to get going on filming because they were behind and they spent like eight hours or something just getting him in the suit and they blew a whole day it's the first time they got him in the suit <laughs> like, i mean it's crazy you and this is also crazy, being filmed, right? <laughs> as i mentioned this is being filmed in dallas where it's really hot and you know, <laughs> um, peter weller talks about how later on in the movie we can talk about this later but he obviously he loses the the top half of his suit right and you see his face incredible that, that prosthetic face apparently took like three hours to to take off and it would leave like <laughs> so much like redness all over his face that they couldn't shoot they had to wait to shoot more footage after any time he took that prosthetic face off so i mean in terms of like going through physical pain and all kinds of just turmoil to, to i guess pull off this robot walk I think you gotta respect it. I'm I'm cool with him not being too athletic in the thing. And right. I love that nowadays they probably animate it or something too a lot. I mean yeah. they did oh, they did the remake, but like nowadays, like you could do a jetpack man a lot more simply in a way. But like I like the details of the suit, like the way his the gun when he holsters his gun, his leg yeah. opens and it has like it doesn't just do open and close, it's like three movements and it's like staccato. I love that. That's like what yeah. I live for in movies. Fair enough. I thought that was really sweet. He punches through the the wall and grabs the the guy who's holding the the mayor hostage or whatever. That's amazing when he does that. It's kind of surprising. 
I like when he's negotiating, like the, the the negotiators, like trying to talk to the guy, and he's like making all his demands, and they're all yeah. just absurd. He's like, "I want a car, a fast one." <laughs> <laughs> he wants a suck six thousand or whatever. At some point, they make the connection between Boddicker and Robocop. She does. She when she sees him do the, the little spin of the gun at the range, that's when she first suspects. Got it. That, the the connection. He calls her yeah. Murphy, and then he has these dreams. And he's laying down. Uh, he's sort of supposed to be sleeping, but his dream sequence goes nuts, and he's having a nightmare about Boddicker and them killing him. So, this is kind of like when you when you start to see the, I guess, the fact that he's still a little bit human and he still has feelings and memories. And this is when his investigation begins, because now he's he he becomes dead set on figuring out who this Boddicker is, and he does that cool thing. Even like the idea of like shooting out his little like sheath that like he sticks into the computer and turns. I like that tactical. I mean, maybe that's not correct. We have Wi-Fi now, but I I, I prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That just looks so cool. It does <laughs> look it in. Yeah, and so he finds the guy at the nightclub, right? Yeah, to find Boddicker. The guy tries to kick him, kick him in the groin. Which you know, it's inevitable. You you love it. You anytime someone has like a, it's like they do it in like the James Bond movies when they kick Jaws in the nuts. It happens. I think that happens in term. Does it ever happen in Terminator? I don't know. Whenever you kick somebody in the nuts and they have a metal dong, it always plays. <laughs> no, yeah. It's always the same sound effect. I think <laughs> the, the, they just recycle the same sound effect every time. It's like doing. <laughs> like, we've seen people punch him. That's the only place that makes the noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So, but this is also where he does like that dream sequence through the house. And this is the first instance where we see like the lifestyle, but we're also getting cut between like Ferrer just living the corporate lifestyle like just like he's got like the uh, you know the the women the cocaine or whatever uh designer drug they have in this futuristic world just having an absolute blast and he's and we had that great exchange between ronnie cox and miguel ferrer because he's smack talking him in the bathroom being like that old man and they do that great little bit where like you don't we we don't know he's in there but we just see his legs and everybody runs out and then he's just like I used to make fun of the old boss, but I knew there was a line to not cross. And you're like, okay, things are getting interesting in the corporate world. You kind of love that Ferreira kind of holds his own and he like tries to fight back, but you realize like this Dick Jones is not somebody you cross. No. Yeah. You see that later when he sends uh, Boddicker to his crib, like Brady said, he's having a little party and the guy just straight up puts a grenade on the table (laughs) what i will say this if nothing else he has some dramatic violence okay well that's also i i think it's very well done too that's i mean yeah i feel like that's the point of the movie (laughs) this is one of the greatest like villain scenes i think i've ever seen where you have boddicker walking in he shoots his legs so he's gonna have to crawl across the room he opens the grenade with his tongue. He pulls the, the whatever it's called. Um, the yeah, the pen. He pulls the pen with his tongue. He puts it on the table. And then he flips on the, whatever, the DVD or whatever it is. I don't know what it, I don't remember what device it was. But To be fair, it did look like a DVD. It was a disc. Yeah, it was like a little in. disc, right? Yeah. So, and then, so and then you shout got Dick out. Jones saying literally the perfect timed, like, explanation of hey i'm killing you right now and then the grenade goes off right when he gets to it it's like so epic man it's such a great like villain scene 
like all the action scenes you can tell are impeccably like cut like i i found myself thinking like how did he know that would cut so well of like x happens and then this scene happens and it just like the, and there's several of those scenes it's not just like one set piece every like even like when uh like uh Boddicker, they when they show up to like that the, the cocaine lab which is called cocaine i assume it's cocaine i guess and they like have that whole like fist fight going on there and you, you know and and everything is on multiple levels so you can have people fall from the sky and stuff like everyone's falling from great dramatic heights and you know it's like actual stuntmen and that's kind of like what I live for in an 80s action movie. It's just like over the top stunts and like special effects and just matte paintings to make this bizarre cityscape where there's like thousand story buildings and stuff like that and like weird elevators. Well, that is it's hyper stylized. And I think he knows like Verhoeven knows when he's casting the movie, he's getting the performances there. It's over the top. The violence is everything about this movie is over the top, right? Like the, the set design, Robocop himself, the violence, the dialogue. And if maybe if one of those elements are off, then they can make the whole thing feel off. But he's able to calibrate all the levels. It's like, you know, like you're like setting an old school, like stereo set where you had to like adjust all the levels. I feel like Verhoeven's genius is able to calculate. I go this high. I can go. This is as far as I can take it without it, like going over the top. But with like every single element he knows the exact level to do it well it's kind of funny we've talked a little bit about the um the ultra violence and we already talked a little bit about the the boardroom scene obviously the guy gets shot a million times apparently when they first did screenings of this like people walked out of the theater because it was just too much and also the first cut of this movie was x-rated and obviously the production company was like yeah we we can't we can't go forward with this. We just spent, you know, at the time, a lot of money, 15 million or whatever it was on this film. And they weren't going to make any money on it if it's X-rated. So Verhoeven apparently very, very, very reluctantly cut out like 10 more seconds of shooting people up to make it R-rated, which is just crazy that he wanted more. It, like, he, And he was pissed it wasn't more violent. Which I love. I, I, I love that for him. <laughs> I love that he's like, I'm going to push. Because I think he's making commentary on san the, the, the danger you have when you sanitize violence. Now, obviously, his violence isn't necessarily realistic, but he's showing like this is like there's 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 like, you know, there's a yin and yang. There's a violence where people get shot and there's no blood and they fall over and there's no pain. He's making a point to show this is the kind of violence. I think a lot of this is affected by, you know, he grew up. He literally grew up during World War II in the mm -hmm. Netherlands with war going on. And but he of course described his childhood as like 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 it was an adventure movie. Now I also wonder how much he's trolling. You know, I think he's like also trying to get at people's goats when he describes that stuff. But also when you're that young, you really don't have any context to realize how messed up things are, too. But like I think he's making a really good, interesting point by pushing it as far as he can, that like there is something about violence that should be recognized in a way that is probably getting put on the radar and like certain movies that aren't showing it in a realistic fashion. Yeah. I, I think that the violence in the media, the way that both of those are portrayed in this movie are kind of similar where it's like, you see something gruesome, like somebody gets shot a million times, or you see, you hear a gruesome news story and you've got the, the two hosts just like smiling and delivering it like happily. And it's really kind of, I think it's, uh, kind of bringing up almost like how society has been desensitized a little bit by mm -hmm. these awful things that are inhumane and wrong. 
And I think that's that's the choice here and, and why you see so much violence and why you see such a rude and awful world um, in an entertaining, satirical way, but in a way that I think what he really, like I said, is trying to say is that we've become desensitized to this stuff. Because even he almost plays the trick on us too. the audience is that like he shows us so much of the horrific violence and you become like like some of it is like, oh, that's that's tough. But like you get to a point where you are a little bit desensitized, even in the movie. And then when you have that moment when all the police officers are ordered to fire on the RoboCop and you're seeing the pain that it's causing him, then the violence takes on a totally different feeling. You're not like it's not exhilarating, like when a guy gets hit by a car and, it, and his body explodes. This is like you, you feel for him. You feel like his pain as he crawls through the parking garage. And it's like I think that's like the genius level that he's doing where he's like, there's more going on than even like we even can even imagine what's going on. Right. There's just layers to what he's, what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I didn't go to film school. Right. So I'm sure there's tons of examples of using violence as a message in a way, but the way that he's doing it, I think I've never seen somebody use violence in such a, like a thematic way before. (laughs) Like normally violence is, is something that is supposed to give the audience like, like a visceral reaction or, you know, it's it you know, like gore in a scary movie it's supposed to make you scared, right? It's supposed to make you kind of cringe. That's not what's going on here at all. It's, it's more trying to create a different type of emotion that is more, I would say, mental and less kind of physical. Mm-hmm. So I think, okay, where are we coming up next? Next, the next we have is, I guess, RoboCop versus goes to, com- yeah. Versus well, he goes to confront. He goes to confront Ronnie Cox, and this is amazing. I love that. This is like the the high stakes of it. He like RoboCop's like gotten to the bottom of it. He's got a confession out of Boddicker. He walk he walks into the room and then he starts glitching. And John, since you hadn't seen it, did you see that coming at all? Never. I didn't see it coming for a second. Like he was malfunctioning. I thought that maybe there was a button the guy was pushing or something that was like an abort 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 type button i had no idea that they had built into his code that they couldn't arrest you know one of their own that's brilliant it was only executives i like that it made a point it wasn't like any of the employees only the only the board members basically are the ones protected from the robocop that was this is a movie that i really think was like extremely smart all the way through and it you know it's goofy and everything like that but i do respect how smart this movie was all the way through this i think was the smartest decision they made was putting in that protective level for the top people because you know that would happen yeah and you see the the fourth directive it says classified and when he's getting turning into robocop you see that you forget about it like in the audience you're not really thinking about it and then all of a sudden you're like oh yeah there's that fourth directive which is pretty cool to like just be surprised by that yeah and then we had so then we have the incredible ed 209 show up and this is the face-off we've been waiting for (laughs) and again this is the genius of it it's like an incredible just like you know stop motion real explosions things like that and you're like robocop finally met his match and then they get to the stairway and he just crumbles down the stairs it has that hesitation where it's like afraid to do it and it becomes like an animal and i feel like they use sound effects that sound like an animal is dying yeah. when it can gets I like say, crap. 
like a baby, I say that this like a baby the, crying. This was the funniest thing that I've seen in a movie in a really long time. <laughs> the fact that the, the, the robot cannot go down the stairs and it just like is a, a turtle on its shell just fumbling around this thing. Earlier we saw this just destroy a human being. But all you have to do is push it down some stairs and it, it, it it's literally lifeless. You think that the Detroit uh, underbelly is not going to find this out and hide in stairwells? Like, come on. And I no. think that that's a commentary because I feel like you see stuff that happens in the corporate world where there's some major flaw in something and they're just so close to it. They didn't even think of it. And you're like, you can't like, how did you not think of that? And I think that totally plays where when you're just so focused on the money, you're not focused on making the best product possible. It's more because nowadays that's a thing. And, you know, people, there's a reason the, the, um, the iPhone, you know, you have to keep replacing it and stuff like that. It's not about making the product. Like, you know, we used to have cell phones that would last four years and now, you know, you have to get like, you know, quicker phones, but I believe that they would not have thought <laughs> to, to, to put this there. Maybe, maybe that's an absurd, but I, I think it's a perfect little, example of the culprit culture leading to the downfall of that machine there no i mean again this movie telling the future in a way i remember when i think it was honda and if i'm wrong don't sue me for libel honda but i believe honda created a robot and like they rolled it out it was this big thing it was probably the late 2000s maybe it wasn't honda but and they like show this thing. It does all these impressive things. It like greets humans and all this stuff. And then they do the, the stair test and it falls down the stairs and it's just walking <laughs> into the ground. And I'm like, dude, this is RoboCop coming true. I think like th there's like a joke, like a, that is like an ongoing societal joke that like robots and stairs, they just don't mix. And I, did this movie start that? I, I guess it must. Have, I think it, right? I feel like it's got to because like there's yeah. only like two things in the world that can't go downstairs, right? Like cows and <laughs> robots. <laughs> you know, what's, what's funny too is like this movie gets compared to Blade Runner. I think a little bit here and there, but Blade Runner they use humans as robots, like and it's almost like so ambitious for them to try to create this Ed Two Hundred Nine and try to create RoboCop. And I think now we've seen the special effects and and how high tech movies are. We don't really have the same appreciation for it that maybe we would have if we saw this in the 80s where it's like, wow, these robots are amazing. But did anyone, can't walk down the stairs. Did anyone think the robot was a little bit of a ripoff of the Empire Strikes Back robot well, in the snow? I'll have you know that the guy who uh, was responsible for creating that robot was responsible for the robots in the Empire Strikes Back. Well, there so, you go. Well, there yeah. you go. Yeah, he's got so, the IP. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I mean, I get respect, respect there. I mean, I, I also, I just, I love motion, like, capture, like, robots like that. <laughs> I cannot get enough of them. All right, so the most iconic one is probably in Star Wars, right? Where they they wrap the wires around those, I, I should know what they're called. Um, AT-ATs, the AT-ATs. Yeah. The AT-STs are the two-legged ones. The stop motion that that actually my wife and I always talk about and we kept bringing up after seeing RoboCop was the one from the uh, Abominable Snowman and like the the Reindeer movie, you know, what I'm, or Rudolph movie. That <laughs> that stop motion is like, that, that's like imprinted in, in our brains, like our generation for sure. The, 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 the Animal Falls is one of the funniest things and then the RoboCop gets there and then they all start just raining bullets down on him. You feel so bad. 
And then I love, I will say, I do love Nancy Allen in this, where she's coming to his rescue and everyone's like still after him and stuff. Well, so I thought that every single person in the Detroit Police Department was striking, but apparently they were just striking to go blast RoboCop because there were thousands <laughs> of people there. And I feel bad because there's some of them like, he's one of us. And then the guy's like, orders are orders. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when they are the incredible, uh, they, when they take the mask off. I think that's one of the best, like the way that the, the actual suit and the mask itself is iconic. You don't expect that when he takes that off. It's such a great character design where like his skin is pulled back and it's like, you know, screwed into something. I mean, it's wild looking and it looks like Peter Weller. I mean, it, I don't, it is crazy looking. And I do love when she like helps him aim too, where they're doing like the way they did, they, they did, they just show that to you where they're doing like basically like the one line doing that, like you would like with like a video game almost. That was crazy. Yeah. He was glitching, right? He was almost glitching where he couldn't aim his gun anymore. Because he's been shot 10,000 times. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> John, there's, I think there's a lot of discussion around um, in what you brought up earlier, how like, is it believable that these two have developed a relationship? There's a, I think, I want to say that maybe when they first wrote this or, or the, I, I can't remember exactly, but this was a part of it at some point where there's supposed to be like a romantic interest between the two of them. And you, you kind of got that sense when she's helping him kind of aim aim the gun a little bit. But I'm glad that they. I'm really glad they didn't do that because I think it it works so much better without any kind of romance between. I'm also really glad they didn't do that. Although it would have been really good if she, you know, got behind him and did the whole like, here's how you do the mini golf swing. <laughs> yeah. but I think that's one of the genius moves of the movie, though. The idea that like, because any again, any other movie would have had that romance, and I had that thought while I was watching it, where. I'm glad that they, she's not like, she, she is there as her character. She's the police, you know, she's the police woman. She's there to do her job. She's not there to be a counterpart to him. She's like her own thing going on and she's, and she's able to save him. Right. And you like, and that's that, I think that's him ahead of his time. Cause you know, a lot of the way that he handles, we'll, we'll, we'll get there in the double feature. Right? It's another Verhoeven movie where I, he, I think he again does. He's kind of ahead of the top, ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. And what he's he he'll shine the light on some people that usually don't lead a movie or something. We and know I what you mean, that, though. It's a guy that's literally like usually wake up, like this is what we got to do. And in this situation, it's Lewis who who is a woman, and this is very progressive. Yeah, I think, yeah, and I think it plays. I think the relationship being a friendship and it's not like have a have a sexual undertone is really works because I think the family, having the family that we haven't seen, really, that makes his loss of the family more palpable Um, in a weird way. When, when, like Intuitively, it shouldn't, but because we're in RoboCop's mind, it's like almost like Memento where we're just seeing the movie re reverse, where when he gets a new memory, we're gaining that memory with him. So we're like in that spot with him. And I do like that they decided to keep the mask off for the rest of the movie. So now he is like Murphy, right? Murphy's back yeah. and yeah. he's roaming around and he's ready to go take down Boddicker. Cause also Boddicker's like back. Boddicker gets bailed. They arrest him. He's spitting on the cops. They like, they, they bring him in. Oh, that's a great one. When he arrests him and he throws him to the ground, he says, what's the charge? He's a cop killer. And then like all the cops turn and then immediately the the corporate lawyers are able to get him out. And he and Bodker's just walking around making horrible comments to the secretary. And then for some reason, Ronnie Cox is like, this is your problem. You have to take down Robocop with your three other bandits. 
<laughs> well, but he, he does. He like, does give him the biggest guns of all time. Yeah, he does. And and, and he's he does get his other bandits out of jail. But like, I this is another great chase scene because the, the one guy he steps into like the toxic waste, which again things that we need to bring back from the past. Uh, acid rain. I feel like that was a big talking point that that just kind of disappeared. I want to know more about acid rain and just toxic sludge. That was the grossest thing I've ever seen in a movie. It was incredible, was man. It was fucking, so good. Because not only was, was he toxic. Fucking like, disgusting. He was, there was yes. pus from all areas. He was, he looked so disfigured. It was the grossest thing I've ever seen when Robocop. That, that's the best part is he's so disfigured and, you're, and he's in, he's clearly in pain. And then they make a point too. He doesn't just get hit by a car and then fly. He gets hit by a car and disintegrates and explodes yes. like a water balloon. Dude, it's the best. It is the absolute <laughs> best. I mean, the reaction that you have the first time seeing this, John, you've never seen this movie. This first time you saw it, the reaction is like, did that just happen? Did I just see what I thought I saw? And then you see him like falling on top of the other guy in the crew. It's amazing. And then the guy's like, yeah, get stand. off me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that the other guy in the crew would start like, you know, disintegrating too or something when that happened. But so did I. I thought that was like, yeah. And first off, great just uh, car chase sequences. Shout out, like, not all car chase sequences are, are, are as good as the others. And I feel like that's a lost art we don't see as much just in general now because they can they can animate i just anytime you can just have cars crash and fly in the air i'm all for it and they're doing a great yeah. car chase sequence in this and but he's I, like and you're pumped because robocop's back well murphy's back and so after the 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 disintegration sequence there's that gun in the water forever that gun is hanging out in the pond forever and it's whoever's gonna get there first that's fun and that kind of rules i like that like Kurtwood Smith is like I love he he still thinks that like RoboCop has to treat him like a real cop where he's like you gotta arrest me <laughs> like, yeah. like you, you gotta follow the rules what do you mean you're not gonna follow the rules after this guy has shown that he's like he's literally the Joker if you put him in Arkham Asylum he's getting out of Arkham Asylum <laughs> yeah but I love like the way that they have the only way to take down RoboCop is just to drop like a thousand ton steel like like you know bearings on him and stuff honestly it did feel like at times you're like is this guy indestructible like he had thousands mm -hmm. of cops shooting at him and that was the one time where you're like okay he's definitely not indestructible he's screwed right now but i love that again like you've been talking about how verhoven i think kind of highlighted ann lewis as such an important character in this like her saving the day and shooting the guy out of the tower was awesome that, that was, was baller. That was a sick shot. Yeah, because I think it's like when he, I also love that like Kurt Smith uses like that metal pole that he drives through him because it feels so visceral. Even though like bullets can't penetrate him, this pole can, which it works. It totally works. Yeah. He's stabbing him in there, and you just like you're wondering for a moment. You do think there's a there's a version of this movie where RoboCop dies, right? Where they make it like he's the hero that dies in the end, but like you. I think it knowing now that there was a franchise built after it, I could see the ending where they do that. I love that they didn't do it because it works. I feel like I totally agree with you because I think that if they had done that and RoboCop dies, you have emotion for a dying robot, and, and that like that plays into the the whole commentary and idea of like humanity and robots and and what's going on in this movie. So I think that him dying actually probably could have worked. And he's well. a Christ figure, right? Like the, it brings the yeah. whole thing forward, but I just, I think it, 
I was I'm not I'm I will say like the last 20 minutes of this movie, I was just grinning ear to ear with all just the nonstop action, the blood splatters, the goo, the weirdness. And so, then like and Andy's like looking so absurd with his like his unmasked face. And then he finally pulls it off. And then they have him go in the boardroom. He has like all the evidence or whatever. And then the old man compliments Robocop shooting. Cause who does he take down? He no, this is like I forgot that it gets more elaborate in the end. There's like one that where he goes in the boardroom. Yeah, Dick Jones grabs the old man hostage. And then and again, they have a gun light just laying in the boardroom. <laughs> and absolutely well, he shows the video first. He's got the bloody spike on his hand that also displays the video, which is great. I think. I love it. And it shows uh, I guess Dick Jones um admitting that he killed uh Miguel Ferreira or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, then he's in trouble. And then Dick Jones freaks out, grabs um, grabs the old man hostage, puts a gun to his head. Old man fires him. And then RoboCop is able to say, well, thank you. I can't the old man it. compliments his shooting and asks his name. Yeah. He's like, I'm Murphy. Murphy. And then it just, yep. the, and it's just credits. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is RoboCop across the screen. You're just like, I, that was like a perfect ending. Like that's nailing it with an exclamation point, and you're just like you're happy for for Murphy because you're like ah he, he he's re- regained his humanity. It's all yeah. come full circle. It's perfect. One quick thing, I guess. Uh, I I struggle to find issues with this movie. I you know I I'm very hot and very cold on things. I guess I'm very hot on this movie. Obviously, I love it. The only thing that I think is questionable that I would have changed. Is when Lewis, um, the the final comment of that scene where Lewis shoots the guy down out of the tower, Robocop kills Boddicker. She goes, Murphy, I'm a mess. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I like, like that. I love that. You love that? <laughs> it's like the only line where I'm like, that's it. This is like the grand finale. And she literally, that's what we get is Murphy, I'm a mess. It's almost like he chose to make it kind of awkward and like not very dramatic, you know? I think of I think it was a little humorous. Like you're like wow, because that because it, it was almost a release after that insane twenty minutes you just watched. You're like yeah, yeah you are a mess. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was nuts. And could you remember someone who had gone through a role that was like something like this, and then the only other notable thing is like that '70s show, Dad. I was hoping that I, because I was like, I feel like I've seen him in more stuff, and he they he's underutilized. He's done a lot of TV. He should be like, because he is a mustache twirling villain, like of the highest sorts. But he's he is, literally that '70s show dad in this, except <laughs> ramped up to the extreme. He's like, I'll stick a boot in your ass, but it's like I'll stick a grenade in your ass. Like he I should mean, have had like the the greatest like he should have gotten to be like a Bond villain or even like a Bond henchman. I would have loved him as like a like a like a, a different take on a henchman or something like that. I'm with. There must be a story behind this, like why his career after RoboCop didn't turn into like the John Voight of the '80s. You know, like I mean, literally, <laughs> like he's one of the greatest villains ever. I think in RoboCop, he truly is. But like he's, I'm looking it up. He's in a lot of great movies. He's Rambo Three, Dead Poet Society. You, you know, like Star Trek Six, which is one of like the ones that people are really high up on. Um, Under Siege Two, Dark Territory. You know, for all us uh, um, fans of my guy, which maybe no joke, maybe the only Steven Seagal movie I think we could cover is Under Siege One, is one of the great action movies. Maybe we'll circle back to that someday. Um, but uh, 
so he had i feel like he just didn't people didn't know how to use him and i think once he did that 70s show and he became such like he's the standout of that show right yeah. uh, you know like him and well, other Kutcher than kelso yeah like kelso and then like Mila kunis <laughs> but like he like he's been in a lot of stuff i'm like looking like so he just like i feel like we, maybe we're just like he should have been the guy for a minute yeah. he should have had more more day in the sun especially just from this performance alone this performance you- alone should have been like he should have gotten a tv show or something are you surprised that he didn't get a call from Catherine Bigelow a few years later to to play Bodie in Point Break? <laughs> he's like he's got the ben, he's grown his hair out to Ben Franklin like like length. He's just amazing. like he's got the skullet going. He's like I'm Bodie. <laughs> Brady double feature. Yeah, so for the double feature, so I think Wait, this is what you're not going to do the sound. Uh, oh, I was wondering if people liked it, so I'll do it. Double feature. Um, double feature is, uh, one of my, I think it's Paul Verhoeven's most underrated movie. It's, um, 2006. It's called black book. It's a Dutch, it's, it's, it's a Dutch movie. It's actually the, the third, it was the most expensive Dutch movie of all time times three. That's the budget they got. World war two epic starring Carice Van Houten, who is the red queen from uh, game of Thrones. And it's a based on a true story. And it's a, and again, he's like doing a World War II woman, movie centered on this woman, which is incredible. She's a Jewish woman who her like family gets like massacred by the Nazis. It's, it's Nazi occupied Netherlands. And she goes undercover as a spy inside, inside like the Nazi, like, you know, apparatus. And it's like, a, it's a thriller and it's subversive. It does some real, it's very much into his European sensibility. It does really, bold moves, bold swings. It has his trademark, like big explosions that you don't see in movies anymore. Like it's 2006. So it's like right before CGI kind of took over everything. So it's just like really cool. It's not even really cool because it's like a, it's like a, it's like a world war two movie with a lot of weight. Basically he does that thing where he makes an action movie spy thriller, but it has weight to it because you know, it's talking about a really serious subject matter. And I think that it should get a little bit more talked about. I don't think it gets talked about. I, I know a factor in that is because it's, you know, Dutch. But I feel like now people are a lot more uh, chill with subtitles and stuff like that, especially when I feel like everyone watches shows and movies with subtitles, even when they're in English. And I feel like it's definitely one worth checking out because I had I, I watched it and I because it has like a 76 on Rotten Tomatoes and I hadn't heard anyone recommend it really. And I was like, I, I love Verhoeven. I love a World War II movie. I'm going to check it out. I think she's great too. And it really blew my socks off. I think, and I think it fits with like the hyper violence um, kind of thing, but also it's more grounded because it's telling like a true story, but he, and, and he takes swings. He takes big swings. So I think that's some, um, that's a movie that is a great uh, match for uh RoboCop. Perfect. All right. So I'm going to start with the rankings then. I'm going to go not a go. Uh, for my score, it's it's not one of my goats. It it's uh, a really smart movie and a funny movie and a fun movie that I'm happy I watched. Uh, I'm glad I gave it a shot. It's something that I would rewatch. It's just not a four star movie in my opinion, and I'm really glad I watched it. Much respect for this movie. Just not really my genre, not my tempo. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed it. I'm going to go, maybe as a surprise, I'm going one of the goats. I'm a, I'm really a huge fan of this movie, but I love so many Verhoeven movies that 
This is probably like three or four on my Verhoeven, um, which is just a testament to him because I think this is a fantastic movie. I think it's 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 a it's an all timer. I'm putting one of the goods because I also am thinking of like all these other sci fi movies that we've been talking about that really like knocked it out of the park for me. But I think what makes this movie stand apart from a lot of things is that obviously it's so relevant. It's funny. I love the special effects. I love maybe maybe to John's point, it's. I, I do like Peter Weller in it, but maybe like if I had like Pacino playing uh, RoboCop, <laughs> I would make me sit up a little more. No, but like, I, no, I will say, I, I think my MVP of the movie, it will go to Kurtwood Smith. I think he is one of the all-time villains. He might be like the goat mustache twirling villain of all time. Um, but yeah, this is definitely one of the goats for me. I'm glad that we... Honestly, I this conversation made me. I maybe I've watched it a little too much because this conversation made me like it even more than I recalled. Uh, definitely made me think about it more. And I think you can't spend a Saturday afternoon poorly watching this movie on the USA Network. It plays. It works. Brian, take it home. So, I mean, this is one of my favorite movies ever. I'd put it probably in like my top twenty. Honestly, I think it does so many things so well. I I can't it's not to me it's not the greatest sci-fi film ever it's not it's, I, I definitely can't give it that title there there are others that are better um honestly I'm gonna give it one of the goats even though it was my choice but this is a I would say a lofty category I'm gonna say it's one of the goat satirical films that's ever been made I I view this movie as you know, like, honestly, on the same playing field as Dr. Strangelove, like, I think it's kind of has similar humor, um, for sure. And actually, it's better. Both of, yeah, <laughs> both of them, Ooh, the takes are coming out. Both of them touch on like nuclear war a little bit, too, which is kind of um, ironic. But I feel like, honestly, they're they're in a way they're kind of similar. Maybe they're my double feature in a way. I think are you a, of, actually, Brian, are you are you a Starship Troopers fan? I haven't seen it in so long. I, I honestly, I think if it. you'd really like on a revisit, it's very similar in the humor, to making a commentary thing that he's got going on here. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, and just to touch on that, I mean, we didn't really cover all of it, so I'm just going to quickly give my rundown on on why I think it is such a good satirical film. We've okay. talked about the violence. We've talked a little bit about maybe what Ed Two Hundred Nine represents. I think two things I just wanted to touch on. So. Definitely this movie is is touching on, uh, I shouldn't say touching on, it's an assault on Ronald Reagan. It really is. Um, this movie is kind of a cautionary tale about ultra capitalism and what happens when you've got Reaganomics and you've got this idea that private companies should be running public entities like the police force. I mean, at the very beginning of the movie, you see Murphy call for backup when crazy gang is driving through the streets killing people robbing banks and they can't even get back up on a bank robbery so it's kind of showing you that and then you've got the other side of it which is corporate greed and you've got this omni consumer products company that is just uber capitalist and they don't care about people you see somebody get blasted in a boardroom and they they don't care they just care about oh no we're not going to make as much money because this product is behind so you've got this situation that's like a, like I said, it's a cautionary tale about ultra capitalism and what that does to society. Um, and then also there's a little bit of like trickle down economics going on here because there's like no middle class in this movie. It's either these evil corporate greedy 
executives and then you've got people on the streets that um, are struggling and you've got a, a, a dystopian society that's really falling apart. So I think it does that well, that cautionary tale it's trying to say. And then the last thing I, I'll say, though, is even though this movie has this very kind of negative feeling and um, it shows you a, a future world that's falling apart, at the same time, this movie gives you hope because this movie is ultimately about humanity and how humanity ultimately wins. You see Murphy turn into RoboCop and then you see your RoboCop slowly turn back into Murphy. And then the last line of the movie is his name is Murphy and he is saying humanity wins. There's really two good people in this movie. It's Murphy and it's Lewis, his partner, and they represent humanity and good to me. And that's what I love about it is it's, it's poking fun at evil. It's it's really touching on the evils of, of greed, but it also has this great undertone of humanity that I love so much. So I love this movie, obviously. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well said, Brian. Uh, I got to say, after talking with you guys, as always, I like this movie more and more after, after talking it out. And um, so, Brady, it is Memorial Day, and you have a pick for the people. Let the folks know what their homework is. Yep. We got D-Day coming up, anniversary D-Day coming up next week, um, June 6th. Um, so I thought, what's the best way to go about it? It's a heavy hitter. It's from one of one of my guys, one of the gods of cinema himself, Steven Spielberg, Saving Private Ryan. Now, I'm excited to jump into this one. I feel like it's been a minute since I rewatched it because I feel like um nowadays you find yourself re-watching band of brothers almost more often right and so i want to see and and i feel like there's almost like a re the reputation for saving private ryan of like some people are, are like oh it was like a dry run for band of brothers ultimately and i think it's doing something different and inherently that's something different is it has tom sizemore so <laughs> i think we're gonna go continue on that trend and i'm i'm excited to see uh what you think because i feel like this is a movie a lot of people have seen a few times but in the context of the podcast, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, and so if you need to find it, it's on Google Play, Amazon, and Vudu. So Saving Private Ryan next weekend, as always, this is the Movie Goats. I am John signing off for Brady and Brian. Thank you for listening, and please download, subscribe, and rate. We'll see you guys next time.